fear with um, what God has for us. You know, fear has that funny effect that sometimes makes you forget what God has done for you. And I don't want to do that. I want to remember always who God is and what he has done for me. Fear sometimes distorts reality and makes us see things as they're not. But if God defines reality for us, fear has no strength, no power upon us. And then finally last week we said that uh, I want to choose. No, I choose, sorry. <laughs> I choose to obey God this year. It's a choice. Because sometimes fear makes me wonder or, you know, withdraw, not commit or whatever. But I want to choose to obey God this year, despite that feeling in my heart says, oh, it's going to be hard, or it's, is it possible, or whatever else fears my, you know, whisper in my ear. So anyway, it's going to be a great year as we walk with God in obedience to him. But anyway, this, uh, today we'll look, we'll look at something else. Actually, we'll look at the past, you know. One year, again, has passed, 2016, with, uh, with many things in it. And remember, um, I once, once saw a movie. Some of you may remember it. It's a 1959 uh, movie called uh, Looking Back in Anger. I was a kid when I saw the movie. Richard Burton was the, uh, the star in it. And it was about a disillusioned and angry um, guy who has to come to terms with his grudge, grudge against middle-class life and values. All I remember is that the guy played trumpet. That's all I remember now. And it was a very sad movie. Very, I don't know, dark and... Uh, I was a kid when I saw it. Anyway. But this, the name stayed with me. It's funny how communist Romania allowed, um, allowed us to watch it. We usually watch Bulgarian and Russian movies with lots of German being killed and, you know, the typical... I mean, you probably don't know the typical Russian movie. Yeah, that's, that's funny. You don't know that. But anyway, this movie made it into our TV and I watched it and the name stayed with me because... How do I look at my past? How can I not look back with anger, but look back with joy and with hope and with uh, trust when I look at my past? And that, you know, it's, it's a new year. We, uh, we look back and try to, to assess or to evaluate what happened last year. And my question is for me, for myself, and, and maybe for you guys, how do we look back at the year that passed? How do we... As we evaluate, how do we feel? You know, joyful, scared, disappointed, regrets, or I don't know. How do we evaluate in the first place? As we look back in, um, at what happened last year, how do we evaluate? You know, how, what question do we ask? You know, one question you will never ask, hear me ask is, you know, how is my hair? <laughs> I will never ask that. But after the, uh, the Christmas season and New Year's Eve and my son's birth and all that, I actually have to get on the scale and ask myself, how much do I weigh? You know, how much did I put on? You know, this morning I had to actually switch. I had to come back with this uh, same uh, um, jacket because the one I chose this morning, I realized, no longer fits me. And it was, <laughs> it was a sad realization that a jacket I like no longer fits me. And I have to actually start losing weight. And as I told you last week, I actually began to exercise. My wife has been my um, helper to uh, make me, uh, how's it, make me do it. <laughs> we do it together. Anyway, so we ask ourselves questions about how, do we, how did we do, you know, where are we now? How, do we, how, how did we get here, you know, how did we get here? I know, it's before um, they came to, uh, to Canada, I spent five months alone here, and um, as a, you know, single guy living, you know, in a basement apartment, really nice, and 
having to shop just for myself, and um, usually my lunch was uh, like cookies and stuff. So anyway, we ask ourselves as we look back, what is our progress? What have we achieved? And we also ask ourselves, what was our weakness or what were our weaknesses? And honest evaluation should lead us to change, some changes in the way we live our lives. Because, you know, great wisdom comes when we do a proper, honest evaluation of our lives in the, in the year that passed. And sometimes humility, too. And as we realize, we didn't really achieve maybe everything we, we wanted to. And also dependence upon God. Because we realize that some goals that we want to achieve require faith, require God to work in us. And we realize how much we are dependent upon God as we look back to our, our past. But as we look back, what criteria of success do we apply? You know, how do we measure um, our lives or how do we weigh what we did last year? My all-time favorite, and my wife can, can vouch for this, is that at the end of the day or the month of the year, or whatever it is, I want to hear the Lord say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. That's my life dream, and my wife knows that. And whenever I feel down or you know, she comes to me and she encourages me with, uh, this is our goal. This is what we want the Lord to tell us. And especially, she knows I want to hear those words. And it's funny that as we look back, somehow all the mistakes and all the failures kind of stand out. While our successes and our victories sometimes are just drowned by regrets. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Probably. I don't know. <laughs> that's how I feel sometimes. But today I want to learn, we want, I want us to learn from Paul um, an important lesson. Because we'll look in a book, a book of Second Timothy, where Paul is at the end of his journey. Uh, he's almost, uh, he's, he'll die not, soon after, not long after this. He, he knows that. And at the, same time, at the same time, his heart seems to be filled with a sense of, sense of peace and joy that comes from his faithfulness, from his commitment, from his sacrifice and his investment of his life into the eternal things. And that's what we need in our lives. We need that peace that comes when we know that we lived our lives for our Lord and for what matters uh, most, for the higher purpose. You know, in the words of Matthew Henry, uh, let it be our constant endeavor that by the grace of God, we may finish our course with joy. That's my goal for next year. As I look back, as I look back with, um, at what happened, I want that in a year from now on to, to say that by God's grace, I have run my course with joy. Let's read the passage for today. It's in 2 Timothy, uh, it's fourth chapter, uh, from verse 6 to 8. And as usual, this is just for show, because I'm reading for the printed. It's bigger font. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and at the time for, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. A passage you've read before, probably even has been preached in this church before. Uh, and the, the verse that actually we'll look at is verse uh, 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race, or the course, depending on translation. I have kept the faith. Faith. 
That's what I want to be able to say in a year from now on that. As I look back at 2017, I want to say the same words as Paul says here. Hopefully my life will be much longer than his after he said those things. But uh, I do want to say that. First place, how does Paul see his life? It's almost obvious from this passage, not just from this, that he sees his life as uh, like from an athlete's perspective. He fought a good fight. And it's not about, you know, a fist fight or like a, you know, like a battle. It's about like, you know, like, a, like in the Olympic arena when they, people fight for a prize. He speaks about finishing the course. And the word again there is about running a race and uh, finishing the way the, uh, uh, the athletes do. All, this in, all, this, all his wording in this passage bring in mind, uh, uh, you know, competitions, Olympic games, arenas. Um, it's funny that even back then, way before Monday night football or hockey, whatever, whenever hockey plays, I'm, I'm not a big hockey guy yet. I'm working on it. I've, I watched my first hockey game two weeks ago. Uh, anyway, even back then, men, men used so much, uh, related so well with uh, these sports analogies. And this is what Paul does here. Because he says, the life of a Christian is like a good fight. Because he calls Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 11, he says, fight the good fight of faith. You know, this is what we need to remember, that our, our journey in life, as Paul says here, is a fight. It's not, you know, I'm not sure, you probably don't have this here, but back in your market, we have what they call a uh, mall walkers. Guy, people that get into, the, you know, times like this when it's, uh, it's, it's very cold or sometimes when it's very hot, people get at the mall and they just walk around the mall, you know, inside the mall. They don't shop, they just walk around the mall. It's a nice, easy walk. It's either warm now or AC'd in the summertime. Our Christian walk is not a mall walk. It's, it's a struggle. It's a fight. It's, it's something that uh, requires persistence and perseverance and uh, commitment and a lot of those things. You know? And it's a fight for a good cause. Uh, whenever I feel down, I remember that what Paul says, that in Christ we are more than conquerors. And I remember that our victory is assured. We don't have to fight to win. We just need to fight as God has called us because the victory has already been granted unto us. I love when Paul speaks in Colossians. I read, my mind sees the verse. It's Colossians 4, verse 10. When Paul, 10 and on. No. It's Colossians 2, 14. <laughs> when Paul speaks about uh, our victory at the cross being assured, the devil and the list of laws that have stood against us has been nailed on the cross. And the devil has been made ashamed because of Christ's victory and his, uh, his death and resurrection. And that's where we live. Our victory is sure. We don't have to doubt our victory. It's, it's, it's given to us. We are, on the, we are on the winning side. You know, Many years ago, as I began to translate uh, professionally, uh, one of the classes I did translation for was um, eschatology. And it was a large, uh, uh, larger um, say, uh, teaching conference uh, with systematic theology. And usually this class was the last one. On Sunday morning from like 9 to 1 o'clock, this was the lesson to be taught. And sometimes our teachers uh, wanted to go home earlier so they would go um, to be with their family. So they've asked me not once, but maybe several times to teach the last class myself. You know, I was a translator, but still they trusted me to teach that class. And I told them, it's easy to teach Eschatology, it's easy. You only need to know three words. You know, all the revelation, it's summed up in three words. My God wins. That's all you need to know. All the other things are just, eh, 
candy eye for theologians. All you need to know is eye candy, not candy eye. Eye candy for theologians. All you, have to need, all you need is like, my God wins. So as we fight this fight, fight with joy and uh, passion and commitment, knowing that the victory is assured. And I just want to read verse uh, 7 and 8 from First Timothy chapter 4. Let's say, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, this is the important part. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and for the life to come. That's why we fight. Because in, in God's godliness that he has bestowed upon us through Christ Jesus, we have so much value for life here and life to come. But anyway, besides the, fight, the, the fact that this fight is worth fighting, we need perseverance. When I became a Christian, I thought, you know, things will be easy from now on. I'm on God's side. You know, my God is so strong that, you know, my God is so... There was a song when I was, you know. Uh, and I thought nothing can just come against me now. Life will be nice and easy. And not, soon, not, not long afterwards, I realized it's not true. God, walking with God feels easy because he cares carries our burdens and he cares for us and he loves us and he fights with us and for us but at the same time for us there is difficulties there are difficulties there is stress and there's strain there is discomfort sometimes as we walk with christ you know it's easy for example not to give um your tithes and offerings it's easy it would be easier for us sometimes giving or pretty much most times giving should cost you something you know but we do it because God has given us the joy of giving to others. Sometimes, uh, you know, things, uh, think of think. Oh, boy. Think about performance sports. How can you get to play hockey for Maple Leafs? You know, can you do it with practicing maybe eh, once a week? You know, anyone here plays hockey? I don't. But I can imagine. Okay, I see a hand there. How often do you, trace, uh, do you uh, train? Or would you train if you want to make it to the Maple Leafs? Now, let's say in a week. How many hours per week would you train? Five hours a week only? I doubt. To make it to Maple Leafs? Maybe five hours a day. You know, five hours a day you would do it. And you would still, and it would be hard, you know. It would, it would not be easy. And any other sport or anything that is worth in life, anything, you have to work hard for it. And the same with the Christian walk. You know, it requires perseverance. James 1.12, I love that passage. It says, and it's not even printed, Blessed are those who persevere. Remember that one? Blessed are those who persevere. Oh, man. James. Blessed is, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. You know, we come from Romania, and um, many years ago you could see a lot of stray dogs in Romania. So as you walk through um, the streets of our, our city, even on our street, you'd see like on a rainy day, for example, you'd see a dog sitting in a corner, wet and 
miserable and just waiting for the sun to come and just, you know, just enduring the rain. Sometimes I thought that this is what it means to persevere, to just wait miserably for the storm to go and then just hopefully the sun will come. It's not that. Perseverance is more about pushing through the difficulties and coming victorious on the other side. It's not stopping what needs to be done just because it's hard. It's just continuing despite all the hardships. And that's, this is what Christian walk is. This is what Paul calls us, is persevere. Fight the, fight the fight and right, fight the fight and run the race, run the course, because it is worth it. And yes, it does require perseverance, but I pray that as you go through, the, through 2017, when it gets hard, remember that God wants to bless the man who perseveres under trial. Another thing is that the life of a Christian requires discipline. We just read 1 Timothy 4, 7, where it says, train yourself to be godly or for godliness. And uh, the word there is uh, the same word that is for gymna- gymnasts. You know, be a gymnast if you want for godliness. Train yourself. You know, do the hard stuff. Work hard every day because it is worth it. You know, be disciplined is something that God calls us to. And you know about, uh, you've heard about the spiritual disciplines like maybe reading the Bible, praying, giving, uh, fellowship, a, a number of those. This is something we need to persevere on and, and work hard at it to push on in our lives as, as Christians to fight the good fight and to finish the course or run the race. We do need discipline. You know, when people ask us, you know, how is your reading? How is your praying? It's not because they want to show off before, before you and saying, oh, I read more than you. No. It's like we want to challenge each other and keep, our, keep each other accountable for things that are important for our lives. Discipline is essential if we want to finish the course, if we want to fight the fight. Hebrews 12.1, really strong passage, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw aside or throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that mar- that's marked for us, marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. What uh, the author of Hebrews says here is that in our lives, there are things that hinder us. You know, what could that be? Encumbrances, as they say in uh, NASB. This is NIV with uh, things that hinder us. What can that be? Because it's not sin. Because uh, the author says there are things that hinder us and there is sin that easily entangles us. You know, as we think about discipline in our lives, what can it be there that can stop us from being disciplined? You know, for me, is when, you know, it's my, birth, my son's birthday and we get great cake and great chocolate and stuff. And, you know, I know I shouldn't eat that. You know, it's, it's, it's something I hinder. It's an encumbrance for me to, for my, you know, it's, that's how you lose uh, jackets that you like. When you, <laughs> there are many things in our lives that are not bad in themselves. That, but because they, sometimes they come between us and our goals, between us and what God says that we should be doing, they become a hindrance. They become an encumbrance. You know, sometimes God calls, calls us to set our eyes on things that matter, and sometimes a flashy something else comes alongside, and we're tempted to look aside. You know, you probably read um, Second Kings, second chapter, the first 11, 12 verses that speak about Elisha and Elijah and how Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. 
You know, they walked alongside. Elisha knew that Elijah would be taken away from him. And at the end of his ministry, of Elijah's ministry, Elisha said, I want a double portion of your anointing. That's what he asked from Elijah. Elijah said, you asked for a great thing or a difficult thing. I've got the exact word it says there. But if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be given to you. If not, not. So what was the task for Elisha to receive the double portion of anointing? Was to see Elijah being taken up to heaven and whirlwind. And at that time, what happened? It says, a chariot of fire with horse of fire came and separated the two of them. Came between the two of them. Now, I'm not sure how many chariots of fire come, come through Woodstock every day. You know, Probably not many. I have not seen one in Newmarket yet. I'm looking around, but I have not seen one. But think about this. You have the prophet here, and he said, watch me, and if you see me when I, I'm taken up to heaven, it will be given to you. If not, no. And then something really flashy and strange and unusual comes. The tendency is to, to look at that thing. You know, and take our eyes from what God says. You know, in this case, Elijah. But I guess he didn't because Elisha did receive his uh, double anointing. And probably he, we, not probably, but he definitely kept his eyes on Elijah, as God said. Not on the chariot of fire. Because he was able to see Elijah going up to heaven. I was at the summer camp with, uh, um, I'm not sure you were there. Anyway, I was teaching through uh, Second Kings at that time, and I had a brand new car. It was 2006, my only brand new car I ever had. And uh, I was talking to the kids, there was a youth camp, and I told them, you know, if you keep your eyes on these keys for, you know, 30 seconds, my car will be yours. And without planning it, I really didn't arrange that, but one of my uh, leaders from the camp came through a side door and said, hey, picture time. Every single kid turned towards the camera. <laughs> so after they took the picture, I said, thank you, the car is still mine. And I put the keys in my pocket, you know. So point is, there are many things in life that can distract us. And hockey could be one of them. When he, God says, for example, I want you to have fellowship with the church and hockey games happen on Wednesday night and Sunday morning. Let's say I have no idea. I'm just saying, and you have to miss church on and on and on because you want to go to play hockey. That time, hockey becomes a hindrance to you in your growth with Christ. You know, I'm just saying I'm not against sports, but just think about what stops us from actually being disciplined with what God has called us to. And then, obviously, sin. If there's anything we need to discipline about is avoiding running away from sin, fighting sin with everything we can. You know, that's a, that is our constant daily fight, fight against sin. You know what your sins are that you struggle with. I, I don't know, and I'm glad I don't, but you know. You know, when you look in the mirror and you think, man, I've done it again. And you, you feel sorrow and pain and just regrets, and you try, I'm going to try harder next time, but you still know that one day might come that you'll fail again. And you know, it's a constant battle. The point is to not give up, not say, well, I've fought three times. I'm going to give up now. I'm going to just indulge myself in my sin. No. Keep on fighting. It's worth. The fight is worth fighting. If you, if you feel that you don't have strength, call someone else to fight, to go, fight alongside you. You know, go and confess your sin and ask for help, for prayer, for support, for whatever it takes to keep, fight, keep fighting the good fight against sin. You know, this is a run, sorry, a race of endurance. 
Um, I'm not sure how to call it in English. It's Indy 500. That race, they run around the ring for like, what, 24 hours or whatever it takes to just, you know. Back in Europe, we didn't watch that. We watched uh, the Dakar race when they raced through uh, North African desert for I don't know how many days and how many kilometers, but long days and long kilometers. And it was truly a, a race of endurance through the desert. And whoever made it to the end was really proved himself or herself, mostly himself. I'm not being such an just most anyway. A man of, of really worth and endurance. And the cars themselves were actually, you know, if the car finished the race, uh, the car race, that was really a good car, you know. But it's a long race with many miles, many troubles, many problems, many support along the way. That's our life, you know, with Christ. It's not a 100 meter dash. It's a marathon. It's a endurance. It's in the 500 or whatever. In the, I say whatever, I want to live 120 years. As God says, you know, the life of man is 120. I want to live 120. It's not just a few days. It's, it's a long, long, long life, hopefully. And every single day should be a fight. A fight because the fight is worth fighting because we know that we need perseverance to stick with it. To win the race, we have to actually persevere to the end. We know we need discipline. And we need to press on. And it's something about Paul that says in Philippians, especially chapter 3, about pressing on towards the goal. Let's read the verses. It's a, it's a, the whole chapter is actually important. I cannot read the whole chapter now, but uh, Philippians 3, uh, 13 and 14 say, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining or pressing on to, towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is what I call a not yet attitude. When you know that no matter how many years you spend in the church, no matter how many Sundays you've come to church from, I don't know, uh, from we have a church at Grace from like six months old to uh, 60 years old, you've been in church every single Sunday. You think, I know them all. I know enough. Well, this is what Paul calls a, what I call actually in Paul's a not yet attitude. I've not yet arrived. I still have to run the race. No matter if I'm young or old, if I've read, if I've, I've, I've graduated seminary or I'm just a, a factory worker, it doesn't matter. I'm not there yet. And Paul says here, forgetting what lies behind. Question. Do you have regrets when you look back at 2016? I do. I messed up here and there. I've done stuff I wish I hadn't. I said things I wish I hadn't said. You know, I look back with regrets and sometimes if we just focus on that, it gets hard. It gets hard to push on with all you think and all you focus on is your mistakes and your failures. And that's where Paul says, forgetting what lies behind. What was for him? He was a church persecutor. He arrested Christian. He put Christian in jail. He probably even participated in, the, in killing you know, having Christians martyred for their faith. I don't know, but heavy stuff for Paul. And still he says, forgetting what lies behind, he wants to reach forward for what lies ahead. He doesn't let the regrets of the past control his life today. He chooses, he chooses to press on towards the goal for the prize of the call of God. And I want to do that. I don't want to live in the past. Yes, I want to learn from my past. I want to learn to not repeat the same mistakes. There are always new ones to be made anyway. I want to push on 
towards, towards what God has for me. Because it's a fight that's worth fighting. It's a fight that I know I have to be, per, I want to be perseverant and I want to be disciplined to fight against everything that God or the world throws at me. And I want to press on forgetting what was behind, but setting my eyes on what lies ahead, which is the prize of the call of Christ Jesus. The last thing on this part is stay on track. You know, it says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. Finishing the course for an athlete means that you have to stay on track. You have to run the race as it was designed with all the things that have to be on. You have to stay on track and not go side, not go off course, as we say. It's fine. The word in, in Greek here for track is drumos, which probably means nothing. Uh, but for us, it, was, it means a way. Uh, drumos, if we hash that word in rain today, it means road, you know, means way, road, path, whatever. And um, just studying for this passage, I realized, you know, I want to stay on the road that God has placed before me, not steer or, you know, not go off course. You know, God has a, a, a course for me, for my life, and I want to stay on it in order to finish the race as God wants me. And how can you get off course? Sometimes being too tired, for example. You know, running on empty with little or no prayer or whatever. You just run on, you just get too tired and you want to give up. It happened to me some years ago, 16 years ago actually, to be more precise. And um, one day I said, I just can't do this church thing anymore. I want a break. I was just so tired and upset with people and, and stuff that wouldn't change in the church. And I was like, I don't have the strength anymore. And I, I told uh, the church and uh, my assistant pastor, um, I told them I want a six months off. You know, I had the job. I had a full-time job at the time. The church was uh, my, my, on, like, on the side. And I said, I'll just focus on the work and family and just, you know, live a life with none of that stuff. And uh, the church agreed, and uh, those six months actually were only lasted three weeks. It took me three weeks of not doing what God has called me to realize how, how much worse I felt not doing God's will. You know, almost like, uh, like what's his name? Jonah, running from Nineveh, you know. It did not make him happy running from what God has called me, you know, and I did it once, at least once, maybe not. I thought about it many times, <laughs> but I've done it once when I actually said, I don't want to do this anymore. And it, it did not make me happy. It made me the opposite. And the moment I, I just called um, my, my friend Adrian and I said, you know, I think I'm coming back. And I, there was so much joy in my heart when I chose that. And I, I enjoyed the grace of the church that actually had me back uh, after only three weeks of being away. <laughs> and... Uh, I said, I don't need ever to run away from this. I, and I, since then, I have never attempted to quit anymore because I knew there's nothing else in life I want to do more than, than uh, work with, uh, with God's church. But uh, it's not impossible to veer off course. It is possible. Sometimes when we get too tired or too distracted, it's easy to choose something else and what God has called you for. And I have no idea what God has called you to. You only you know. But my call for you is to stay on track. Yes, it's hard, but it's worth fighting. Yes, it's hard, but that's why we're called to persevere. And yes, it's hard, but God says, I want you to train yourself for discipline because it is worth it. And I want you to press on.
because the other choice is just not even a choice. You know, we may feel happy for a week or two or whatever, but if we don't do what God has for us, we're just not in the happy spot. Anyway, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. And the last thing is, I have kept the faith. Keeping the faith, what does that mean? You know, it's a, it's a very fancy phrase, a phrase. It sounds good in our mouths and we say, but what does it actually mean to keep faith? Keep your faith. You know, for once it means to keep your faith. You know, your faith in God, to guard it, meaning to continue to believe in God's word, to trust in his wisdom, to have confidence in his promises. Yes, like I said last week, fear sometimes, sometimes the voices of the, of the, of the evil one may come with lies to us that may push us, I mean, tempt us to not keep our faith, to not trust God, to not believe his word. Keeping your faith means to know your faith, to study, to meditate, to live out what God has called you to. And uh, I think it was uh, Brother Wayne that read uh, from, I mean Dan, I'm not sure, from Psalms 1 that says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in, the, in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of the sinners, or sit in the company of the mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates upon the law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaves does not wither, whatever they do prospers. You know, keeping your faith, meaning continuing to believe what God has promised you, despite everything that is whispered in your ear, everything that the world says you shouldn't believe anymore. That's, this is what it means to keep your faith. And how can you do it is know God's word. That's why we discipline ourselves to read God's word, because we need to know what God has told us and promised us. It's not because we have to check a box in a, in a you know, one-year plan. It's not because we want to make sure we don't, we're not looked down upon the church because, oh, you're not reading your Bible? No, we need to read the Bible. It's like food. It's like, like chocolate. It's like coffee in the morning. We need that for our inner person. We don't read the Bible because we have to. We read it because we, there's no way we can live our lives without reading the Bible because that's how we know God, His promises, and we start trusting Him more and more. But the second thing besides keeping your faith is guarding the truth. That's the second option of meaning for that phrase, I have kept the faith, is guarding the truth. You know, Paul says to Timothy at the end of his life, he says, preach the word. Be prepared in season out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situation, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Paul says, the greatest thing you can do right now, Timothy, in your life is preach the word. It says, be prepared in season out of season to correct, rebuke, and encourage through the word. Again, it says in First Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of the scripture, to preaching and teaching the scripture. Watch your life, it says, Paul says in First Timothy 4.16, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Or 2 Timothy 2.15, 2 
Present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. It is important to guard the truth, guard the faith. God, that body of faith that was handed down to us from the apostles, and to to keep it, to preach it, to bring in our hearts and give it to to other people, not just on Sundays, but every single day. Whenever you meet with someone, may the word guide your discussions. I mean, yeah, we can talk about cars and, and football and, you know, airsoft guns or whatever. But in the end, bless yourself with God's word. Encourage yourself to live out God's word. Keep your faith. Guard the truth. Preach the word wherever you go. Anyway, getting close to finish. Looking back with joy. Is it possible to look back at the year that passed and say, it was a good year? Yes, it's possible. Paul looked at his whole life and said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Despite all his failures, because he had them. He still said those things because he chose God. He chose Christ. He chose what was most important for his life. We need to look back ourselves. Look back to evaluate and learn and change. There is no point to look back at the year that passed to think, oh, I should have done this, that, and that better, or whatever, or not have done this, that, and that, but then change nothing in your life. As you look back and think, have I kept the faith? Have I finished the course? Have I fought the good fight? If you answer, eh, (laughs) then the next step is, what is to be changed? What can I change in my life today for me to actually go towards those goals? Just a couple of hints about, you know, being disciplined is focus on the few things that matter. Where do you struggle most? Is your prayer? Is your reading? Is your fellow? I don't know. I have no idea. But focus on those things that matter most. Be specific and realistic. Don't say, well, I want to read the Bible in two months, twice. You will fail. You know, and you will, because you fail, you'll say, eh, I won't try again. I won't read at all because I couldn't do it in two months twice. I mean, what, once a month? <laughs> no, be, be realistic. You know, I want to read five chapters a day. That's maybe a realistic chunk of the Bible. I don't know. I want to pray for five minutes every morning. Whatever it takes, be specific and be realistic and stay accountable. If you say, I'm struggling with my I don't know, my giving, for example. Stay accountable. You know, have someone in your life that can help you. You know, have you given anything to God's work this month? If not, you know, take off your check and do it on the spot. I don't know. Stay accountable and pray about it. It's, it like I said, it is a fight. It's not an easy one. You need God on your side. You need God to fight this fight with you, to walk this walk with you. It's important to have clear values and priorities. Why do we fight a good fight? Why do we run the race? Why do we keep the faith? Now, because it's worth it, because there's nothing more important than this. But my question is, do our priorities and values that we say we have, do they reflect in our agenda? For example, we say, is, is prayer important for Christian walk? Hopefully most of you will raise their hands, not just me, okay? Strange. It's very important for Christian walk. You know, can you see that in your daily schedule every single day? Don't answer. Because if you don't, 
then somewhere there is a discrepancy. There is a incongruence, let's say, in math between what you say and what you do. You know? And it doesn't work that way. You have to leave what you said and say what, I mean, you have to do what you said. Your priorities will define your agenda and you will see your priorities and values in your agenda, in your calendar, in your, in your checkbook, in, in the way you live your life. And how do I want to live my life? I want to keep the faith. I want to run the course. And I want to fight the good fight. And next year, if I see you in a year from now, I want to say I will, I will, I'm looking back with joy at 2017 because I chose to do what God has called me. Or again, I'm quoting Matthew Henry. Let it be our constant endeavor by the grace of God that we may finish our course with joy. To fight, to persevere, to be disciplined, to press on, to keep the course, to keep the faith and guard the truth. That's how we can look back and say, it was a great year, despite any failure or regrets we might have. May God help us to get there. Amen. I have no idea if I meant to...